Hello and welcome to the Open Labour Podcast. My name is James Gibson and I'm joined by my fellow co-host Josie Parkhouse. Hiya Josie, how are you doing? Yeah, not bad. How are you? Very well. As always, I'm always very well when I do the podcast. You know, it's one of my <laughs> favourite things to do. We are joined today by the OH and all-round good guy. OH stands for original host, by the way. Oh, uh, not Tom... OG. <laughs> not OG, OH. And of course, it's the one and only Tom Hinchcliffe. Hiya, Tom. Wow, what an, <laughs> what an intro that was. Um, I'm fine, thank you. I have COVID-19, which is a nice throwback. So I'm going from the comfort of my bedroom um, during Postal Vote Week and as a first-time candidate. It's not ideal, but I'm happy to be here anyway. I don't think I asked you how you were. You just jumped yeah. straight into it, Tom. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> but <laughs> but now you you know everybody knows you got COVID nineteen and feeling frustrated in your room. <laughs> so I'm only pulling your leg. I'm, everybody's keen to know how you are. Right, let's go to the main area that we're going to be discussing today: local elections. Tom, my first question, but it wasn't really going to be a question, but I wanted you to sort of introduce with telling everybody the exciting news and why you haven't been on the podcast for so long. But you're giving the game away straight away. Yeah, well, you're so predictable, James. That's why. <laughs> I mean. Yes, for the first time, I am a Labour Party candidate, which I'm hugely proud of, to be honest, to be standing in, in West Leeds, in Bramley and Stanley Ward. Um, it's slightly terrifying, but at the same time, it's been really fun to be out campaigning um, and seeing you, your own name on posters for the first time and things like that is brilliant, but mildly weird. And it, it's just been a great campaign so far. You know, people on the door are much more engaging um, than when I campaigned in the same place last year. And I don't know if that's because, you know, people react differently when you're the candidate rather than um, someone else, I think. They try and be a bit nicer to you. But I think the whole vibe around the party has changed. Key has managed to rebuild a lot of the trust that we lost before. So I think overall it's going to be positive, but there's there's a case of expectation management there as well. I don't think we're going to wipe the floor with the Tories, but certainly in, in Leeds and Yorkshire, it's looking quite healthy and, and I'm pleased to be talking to people. Is Tories your main sort of opposition in your ward then? Uh, yeah, yeah, in, in my ward and, and across Leeds, really, but oh, wow. um, they're the second party. But you do get pockets of Liberal Democrats and Greens that are, going to, are probably going to make some not gains in terms of seats, but gains in terms of votes this year. And of course, we have independents in Leeds as well, with this sort of flank the city, really, um, that have really entrenched in their respective wards and um, don't look like they're going to be ousted anytime soon. And of course, we do have the country's only SDP councillor. I won't mention him. I won't mention his name. He is um, he's on the council with me, so perhaps I shouldn't be too derogatory. But um, let's put it this way: his campaign was not very nice. Certainly not in line with the liberal values that the SDP are meant to hold. I think they've changed as a party and we're seeing that with the the way that that particular councillor ran his campaign and how he conducts himself in the council. I won't say anything more than that. But anyway, that's enough about uh, Leeds politics until we we get into the analysis and predictions and and the rest of it. Josie, what's it going like in Exeter? Yeah, it's going good. Um, We've got 13 wards, some of which we're sort of defending, some we're trying to take back control. I mean, historically, Labour's had control one time or another of each of the 13 wards. So there's nothing sort of impossible. But yeah, I think, I mean, we're actually in a position where the opposition party in Exeter isn't 
the Tories. Um, it's a progressive group made up of Lib Dems and Greens. So, um, yeah, it's a slightly different um, situation than you, you guys, I guess. Or, or maybe, it, you know, a, it, it would have been similar a few years ago that it was more sort of Tories are our main opposition. But yeah, having Lib Dem and Green as your main sort of opposition just means it's sort of a different campaign. But it's feeling good. I mean, lots of support on the doorstep, no massive shift away from us, picking up a lot of Tory voters. And yeah, I, I imagine pretty similar thing around the country, really. I mean, So how I'm, do you... Sorry, sorry Tom. I don't, I don't know if you're hearing the same thing in Exeter, but on the door in Leeds and in Sheffield, actually, in Barnsley, where I've been recently, I hear people saying, well, we've never voted Labour and we're not going to vote Labour, but we're certainly not going out to vote for them, them being the Tories. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've got that from them either, Josie. No, we don't really have... We, uh, I, The general thing I get, which is the most frustrating, I find, is sort of apathy and just people being like, either I don't vote or you're all the same, that kind of thing. I mean, I think if people vote sort of not Tory but not Labour, they usually just won't tell us how they vote, to be honest. But maybe I'm just not <laughs> getting the data. So what's it like, Josie? How, how are you tackling and, and trying to beat the Greens and, and the Lib Dems? I, I, my first ever seat, actually, in Leeds was a seat called Wheatwood, and we took it from the Liberal Democrats for the first time in 20 years. But that was the approach was very much the Lib Dems are basically Tories. And that was pretty easy to pin them on. I won it in 2018 because that was only three years after the coalition and, and the havoc yeah. that the coalition rained down on, on the country in the form of um, local government cuts and cuts to uh, public service more generally. So it was easy to pin that on them. How do you go about fighting against, say, the Greens that will certainly pitch themselves further to the left than Labour? And even the Liberal Democrats, as we know, the Liberal Democrats... The, the party or the candidate changes so so wildly. So what you know, you'll go up to I don't know, your North Yorkshire or or the Southwest and, and you know, they're pitching themselves much closer to the Tories and um perhaps a little bit more sensible than the Tories, but it's it's around that that same position on the Overton window. And then suddenly you'll go up to somewhere that's more progressive like a city and they're pitching themselves to the left of, of, of Labour sometimes even. So how, how do you beat parties to the left is the question. Yeah, and that's something I think a lot of parties struggle with. Yeah, I mean, for us, we've always previously had a sort of no attacking, we're in control, so we should just be sort of promoting what we're doing rather than necessarily attacking other parties. We're starting to move a little bit away from that, not massively, and have sort of more individualised stances depending on the ward and the situation, like um, whether it's, you know, a currently Lib Dem seat or a Green seat. But yeah, it, it's a difficult one. I don't necessarily find that it is Greens, for example, that they are just sort of disenfranchised Labour or Labour, traditionally Labour voters that are moving to Green. We do we do definitely find that, but we also find people who are more sort of small C conservative and sort of nimby-ish. Um, 100%. I mean, yeah. the, the Greens are really challenging in um, a ward in Leeds called Weatherby, which has always been a Tory heartland. So obviously, it'll be they'll be squeezing Labour votes and Lib Dem votes and those progressive side, but they're taking from the Tories. And, you know, you find that a lot of Tories are willing to vote Green. I suppose they're just hoovering up votes in the same way that the Liberal Democrats did during the during the noughties when, when Labour was struggling after, after 
after the Iraq war and you found that seats that would always been Labour with perhaps with a, a larger population of ethnic minorities started to go over to the Lib Dems and it meant that the Liberal Democrats meant something different to to every every individual voter and it could and they were able to sort of change and act as a sort of chameleon depending on who they were talking to to um, appeal to whatever it was that they were passionate about and I think that's what the Greens are up to as well so it's certainly not just a, a left wing vote. I was just going to say two more points that one thing that is really is sort of something we hear on the doorstep in areas that Lib Dem and Greens have done well is the argument that Labour have lots of seats on the council so what's one or two seats to another left-leaning party if anything it's holding them to account that sort of argument and that's quite a difficult one to back down I mean I think the general question then we we then ask is well what would you do differently and how would a, a sort of one extra councillor who isn't in the ruling party and doesn't have loads of power or control, how, what would they do differently from a hardworking sort of councillor who is in a party that's got ruling control? And then the second thing is that, you know, Lib Dem and Greens, they're in Exeter, for example, they're focusing their efforts on one ward, two wards, three at the most, whereas, you know, as Labour we're fighting 13. And although we've got targets within that, it, it's a possibility that we win those 13. Whereas for Green and Lib Dem, they're sort of, if they can focus all their efforts on one ward, then no wonder they can win that one ward. That's a little bit of a backdrop for how politics seems to be playing out in the local elections. I'm not sure it's the most exciting subject unless you're particularly interested in local politics. But let's talk about something then that, that listeners, without having the knowledge of running in local elections or take a particular interest in it, are going to be able to understand a little bit more. Let's talk about what people are talking about on the doorstep. Tom, what, what are you finding? Um, A lot of things. I mean... Uh, the main thing is that public services are in disarray. I mean, obviously we've got a Labour council in Leeds, so they do take some of the blame, which sometimes you have to remind people that Leeds City Council's budget, as many Labour councils' budget, has been cut by over 90% since 2010. But the idea that people can't get a doctor's appointment and people can't rely on the police to investigate crimes and no one can put the heating on is really cutting through to people in that it's making politics very relevant to them all of a sudden, which I think is definitely um, leading to more engagement on the doorstep where usually people might have said, look, I'm not bothered. But you do get a lot of people, which is this is a sad state of affairs because we're the fifth richest country in the world, but I do get a lot of people on the doorstep asking for help, which is you know, when you're canvassing for their vote, of course, I'm happy to help. But as a prospective candidate and not a councillor yet, I, I think it's it, it's just so sad that, you know, you get people asking where the nearest food bank is. If there's any energy support from the government and Leeds City Council, now the support has been stopped. And it just shows you that politics is really coming home to people now. And, and it really, really matters. Um, a lot of stuff I get on the door as well is actually voter ID. My ward is a uh, very working class area um a lot of people don't have passports because if you can't afford to put your heating on then why would you pay 50 pounds for a passport um a lot of people don't have driving licenses because they can't afford cars or lessons which is completely understandable and they're really worried that they'll be disenfranchised obviously the best way to do this is to is to, is to, is to tackle it is to vote by post but the deadline's passed and 
you can only speak to so many people. So... And that's only for this year as well, actually. They're looking that you, you'll need some form of ID in the same way that you will to go to the polling booth for um, for postal votes in future. Although I'm a little bit sceptical. I, I think this whole the whole thing, and I'm, I'm sure you guys will agree with me, is about disenfranchising people that would be more likely to vote Labour. So, okay. And I think the, the real smoking gun on, on that assertion is the fact that you are not allowed to use a student card or a rail card as a form of ID to vote. However, uh, and that's obviously younger people will, are more likely to have student cards and rail cards. However, you are allowed to use a bus pass to be able to vote, which obviously that is for uh, old, older people's bus passes. And yeah. obviously those people are much more likely to vote Labour, younger people, sorry, Tory, uh, and, and younger people are much more likely to vote Labour. It's, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The, the process to be able to get a student ID is, is rigorous and as is um, even more so to get a rail card and very similar um, with respect to getting a rail card as it is to get a bus pass. So why you would exclude one and not the other, it's yeah. pretty obvious. And that's about disenfranchising people. This is a political game and they're very much testing the waters with this. But they know they've got nothing to lose, as Josie kind of touched on earlier. The Greens, Lib Dems and Labour to an extent are all kind of picking the carcass of the Conservatives who, are, who you know, aren't going to do very well in this election regardless of who you support because a lot of Tories will just sit on their bums and not go out this time as a kind of protest and turnouts going to be low anyway as it is in locals anywhere but the fact as you say it's, it's the same with oyster cards you can use a 60 plus oyster card but you can't use a uh, 18 plus oyster card as photo id even though they're Badness. absolutely identical so it, it's it's quite obvious that this is a political trap that and I, I don't usually say people that are more likely to vote there but i think it's just people that aren't likely to vote conservative you know yeah so, true and and one thing to flag to people that are listening that if you do don't have id but you have expired id that looks like you then that will be accepted so take that if you've got a you know a, an expired passport and still your photo on it and it still looks like you then do take it to the polling station i didn't know that tom and we should be encouraging listeners to get that out, out there when they're when they're out campaigning i'm sure our listeners will be savvy enough to either have had a postal vote or for the the form that allows you to vote what is what's it called like does anybody know the name oh, of what voter authentication a voter authority certificate um you, you have to apply to your local authority for before i think it's the 25th um, and it's we're recording this on the 19th um but you know as we as we said it is clearly just uh, a political tool to diminish the yeah. anti-tory vote and it, it, it's shameful really that they have to stoop to things like this i suppose it's a good sign for other parties that they're having to stoop to things like this but it is still disgraceful nonetheless well roll on labor that... government so that we can yeah. actually get rid of it that's the first thing that we should do yeah, Sorry, definitely. Josie. Well, no, I was it... just saying the way that they justify it is is sort of crazy that, you know, they're fixing a problem that just doesn't exist. And I, I mean, I raised it in a in one of my first council meetings because, you know, we had to approve a budget to to have, you know, more people at the polling station. Things like we need women, um, at least, you know, one woman at each polling station in case a voter comes with a hijab or you know a head scarf and needs to take it off to show that they're the person on their photo id so it's things like that that are costing councils money to fix a problem that doesn't exist it's it's really 
yeah, I agree. I 100% agree with what you're saying. Well, uh, there's been estimates, hasn't there, of about £120 million that this is costing. You know, at a time when the government is saying that they can't possibly afford to give uh, nurses a decent um, raise in their wages or, you know, they can't afford to give councils that little bit of extra money that they need to be able to do the high, their infrastructure project that they've been asking for and the other countless examples we can give of where people need money and the public sector needs money and local councils money etc and yet they're wasting 120 million pounds to solve a problem that doesn't exist it's it's utter madness one more point just before we go on to something else because i know listeners would have heard this to death in in normal conversations yeah. anyway i think this is a this is the biggest test especially i joined the party in when i was 15 so 13 years ago and I think this is the biggest test of Labour's kind of on-the-ground activist-based campaign machine to see if we can keep the turnout near to where it would be without voter ID. Um, because I think, as I said, you can't speak to everybody, but it's a test of new methods that have changed since I joined the party. So social media, we've got organise and dialogue and things that the party's brought out software-wise, which is really, really helpful. But as I say, it's a real test for us this time. And... I'm hoping that once we get into government, we will scrap this. I'm pretty sure we will, because it'd be politically and and morally um, bankrupt not to. Um, but I, I do think it's a huge test for our activists and our people on the ground that work so hard to just add this string to their bow and try and convince people and remind people that they need ID this time or to vote by post. Do you think it's going, all the things that you've mentioned, all the the technology, all the advantage we have as a, a party with what's the membership like now? It was over half a million at one point, wasn't it? What is it now? It must be, it must still be over 400,000. It's dropped, yeah, but it, it's not as much as it was during Jeremy Corbyn's time, I've heard. It's still uh, the biggest, it's still it's, a huge yeah, still, party. Still by far the largest party in the UK, yeah. And we've got you know, significant advantages in that respect in terms of what we're able to do on the ground, as you just said, as well as some innovative approaches like dialogue and, and uh, reach on social media and things like that. So, But the question is, have we been utilising that in this election? And from what I've seen, actually, I'm not entirely sure that there's the same energy going into this election. And I think that is actually because the polls are so good. And this is my perception anyway, started off out the blocks, everybody was doing everything that they usually would do. The reception on the door was so positive in the respect that nobody's voting Tory. I've, I've never had a reception like it where people are coming out of the houses, sort of, they come out looking aggressive to, and start shouting, but they're actually shouting that how bad the Tories are and they're going to vote for you. It's been that positive, actually, in some areas that I've, I've visited. I wonder whether or not there is that apathy and we're taking things a little bit for granted and we're not quite factoring in the issue and the lower turnout that we're going to see as a result of voter ID. And I wonder if there'll be some marginal areas that will actually slip as a result of it yeah i think i think that's right um but i think it's very important as you know not to be complacent which we never are um but i I know what you're saying i think the way we lose elections is by kind of sitting back and when the when people on the door tell us oh well you're going to win anyway well don't take that for an answer you know uh, i'm in a, a a decent ward in terms of Labour voters um, but when people say well you'll win anyway because Labour always win round here it's that is the way you lose um, especially in specific kind of local elections with low turnouts as well so you're right that the polls are looking good but I'd also urge people to not be complacent and to carry on campaigning as we usually do because the voter ID thing is really going to diminish our turnout 
absolutely yeah really important point I mean yeah people don't realize on the doorstep I think because it's like a collective thing people think my vote doesn't count but there you know there's been instances where it is literally one vote in it um and then you just think if it's one vote short you just think oh I could have you know knocked on one more door um yeah it really does you know every vote makes a difference and and especially this time around it it's you know it's also a signal isn't it it's also a message it's it's a test for Rishi Sunak I mean I think we've had um sort of three or four prime ministers since the last uh locals so yeah it's um it's so what's one. coming up on the doorstep for you then Josie Tom had said what's coming up in Bramley I suppose he's speaking for the both of us since we're both in Leeds. I will talk a little bit because I have been doing some work in the Castleford area and the constituency of, of MPC, Normanton, Pontefract and, and Castleford. I'll talk about that in a second. But what's going on down in Exeter? What's coming up on the doorstep? Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are, as you guys will probably have experienced, a lot of people don't necessarily distinguish between local and general elections. So we often get on the doorstep, you know, Ben Bradshaw's our MP, we often get, oh yeah, I'll support Ben, I'll come out and vote. Um, and so we have to kind of remind people that it, you know, it is a signal and it is important, but it is a local election. Um, yeah, I mean, on the doorstep, it's it's just pretty positive. A lot of, um, similar to what you're saying, Tom, there are, there are sort of issues with budgets and things like that, that, you know, people comment about, um, but here we've got a um, bit of a different situation because we're a two-tier authority. So people complain, for example, you know, my my council tax is so high. But when you explain to them, look, actually, we only get about 5% of the council tax as the city, um, then I think people are a bit more receptive to, you know, what they get for that money. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's generally um, public services, NHS, sort of issues with housing, um cost of living uh and 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 just a general you know frustration with the tories and and a lot of people saying just saying yeah let's get rid of them let's get rid of them and wanting a general election really yeah i think i think you're right and on the national kind of ads that we've been running by the rishi see that one which we won't talk about but the, um the the ads on a national basis that are about warm homes and pubs support for businesses abolishing business rate i know they're not completely relevant for a local election because you know these are plans for when we're in government but i also think they do cut through with people and it shows that we do have a plan to deal with cost of living crisis which is overbearing absolutely everything you know if people so if someone raises on the doorstep with me that they had to wait two and a half hours for an ambulance two and a half days sorry for an ambulance or hours or days or whatever, then that does link to the cost of living crisis because the Tories say that they don't have enough money to spend on the NHS or pay ambulance workers properly so they're out on strike, you know, and if people can't get a police officer to investigate their case, that's because the cost of living has led to policing numbers dropping and the Tories not replacing them or investing investing in them enough and getting rid of neighbourhood policing completely. So it all does tie together into this mesh of the cost of living crisis, whatever form it takes, and you see this in... Yorkshire quite often. Um, I think it's Kingston upon Hull where they've got a, a 
a majority of one or something on that council and Sheffield is a coalition of Labour, Lib Dems and Greens. And these these will be really key battlegrounds um, in our area, as they will be across the country. But everybody seems to be in the same boat at the moment, whether you're quite middle class and well off or whether you're scraping the barrel. A lot of people are struggling in, in their own ways. So and and they've got their own experiences with it. So I think that's really gonna um guide people in their decisions in there. I agree, as promised. I will talk a little bit about my experience now from wider than just Leeds. I've been putting myself about in West Yorkshire and Yorkshire more generally quite a lot. What I've been finding is people are definitely incredibly frustrated dare i say angry with the tories and i don't think that the tories will do very well in these elections whatsoever people that have voted tory or their life are saying that they might consider voting labor but they and maybe they will but they'll certainly stay at home but the the problem that i've i've been finding is that in areas that have labor controlled councils the message coming back from the doorstep is pretty mixed in that there is there's not a great love for the for the labor party because the councils aren't able to deliver services in the way that they used to be able to be and that's being put down to sort of mismanagement rather than the reality that that local councils have had their budgets cut by 50 percent so it means that you've got this you've got this sort of duality where people are, are not voting tory and they're angry at the tories but at the same time they're not necessarily willing to vote Labour and also have some anger at the Labour Party as well. No doubt that's the whole reason that the Tories decided in the first place to to target local government so um, so viciously with cuts, even though you know beyond reason and beyond any uh, any sense because of the the social issues that it creates, which obviously puts more pressure on other public services and therefore generates a, a false economy. So it leaves me nervous actually for the future, perhaps not for some time, but it, it leaves me worried that there are there is a there is a gap for a sort of insurgency party to sort of sweep up on those votes and I'm not entirely sure what we do about it to be honest as a party because our hands are tied do we want to be we want to run the council and we want to make sure that we keep on providing services for the most vulnerable in those communities like for example Leeds City Council spends 70% of its funding on children's and adult social services and as a result has some of the best social services in the entire country so we want to make sure that we're in we're running the council but we're getting a lot of flack for the fact that we can't fill in those potholes and um, we've had to reduce some of the funding for things that, that we did in the past, like additional PCSOs and things like that. What do you two think? Just on police, very quickly. I've just had an S- SDP man tweet me very aggressively saying, Labour, I shouldn't be on my phone while we record this, should I? But Labour have cut police support officers and removed all the neighbourhood policing. Well, I'm sorry, but the fact is that in West Yorkshire, police funding core funding from the government has been cut by I think it's 17%. Cambridgeshire, Thames Valley, Wiltshire, Norfolk, what do they all have in common? They're Conservative councils and they've experienced 0% real terms reductions in police core funding in the same period since 2010. So, you know, these arguments are, I won't say they're falling on deaf ears because some people do blame their local authority party and I, I completely understand that but at the same time when you're given absolutely no money and get the bare bones to deal with these problems policing and as you say James potholes and things like that potholes do have to come second sometimes to people's well-being and as much as I cracked my tyre the other week on a pothole and there's nothing more frustrating. Oh you want to sue the council mate. Yeah I know, yeah <laughs> um, Labour need to sort it out <laughs> 
It's your <laughs> Labour-run council. But I'm not sure I agree with you, your point entirely. I, I am worried. I do get on the doorstep quite a lot that, um, that it's the local council's fault for, for crime and antisocial behaviour and people aren't putting two and two together that persistent cuts has meant that there are fewer police on the ground with fewer resources, which obviously leads to an increase in crime and antisocial behaviour. And the Tories, they've had the cheek on a leaflet in our ward, actually. I could not believe it. And they do this every year to say that the Labour Council, the Labour Council has reduced the amount of PCSOs on your streets. Now, we agreed when the police cuts first started to sort of chip in, if you like, as a council to provide some additional PCSOs. As the budgets have become tighter and tighter with now 13 years of austerity, we had to remove that funding, which meant that a couple of PCSOs were not funded by the council anymore. The Tories that have got 22,000 police and PCSOs over the past 13 years have the cheek to say that Labour are cutting PCSOs. You just can't make it up, but it is resonating with people. I, always, I mean, it drives yeah. you to despair. I always yeah. think it's funny that when Leeds or, or Labour councils have to make difficult decisions, the Tories go mad about it and it's disgraceful. But when they claim they have to make in inverted commas, difficult decisions about introducing austerity and the bedroom tax and things like that, then that's absolutely fine. Yeah, but I, I totally agree with what you were saying, James, in terms of people don't necessarily understand the nuance in terms of local government funding. Um, and so oftentimes, yeah, people people don't like you to say on the doorstep, Actually, it's not our fault. It's the Tory government because they just think, oh, you're just shifting the blame. You're just looking exactly. to blame someone else. When in reality, it's, it's like, no, look at the numbers. Like, we, mm. what do you want us to do? We have to make millions of pounds of cuts every single year. And you you expect the same, if not better service every year. And it's it, it just puts it us is in a... better. They do want better because the council tax is going up. <laughs> so they do want better services. Yeah. Right. Like, like that's the way that people look at it. They think, well, I'm paying more so I should get more and not realizing you're only paying more because the government's paying less. Um, yeah. And, it, it, uh, you know, here in here in Exeter, we we tend to sort of avoid that. Let's blame the conservative government, even when. At the end of the day, that is sort of where the blame lies for a lot of these for a lot of these cuts. So, uh, yeah, and we do that because we we don't we know it doesn't necessarily resonate with voters to just say, um, you know, it's not our fault. It, what we find is it resonates more just to kind of highlight the positive things we have done and what we continue to to deliver, um, rather than sort of highlight the things we can't do and. The reasons we can't which you know nine times out of ten are because surprise surprise the tory governments cut cut it or or making councils bid for it or whatever shenanigans they get up to i agree in time josie and thanks for that i i'm going to ask you to come back on the point that i made before we we went into the um the hypocrisy of the tories about how this is playing out in our politics writ large we've seen in i guess france i suppose is the perfect example with uh, with macron and his movement but we've seen all over italy's well it's always been a bit odd and they, they tend to sort of go off with wild cards much more frequently than we 
we do, but we have seen across Europe, certainly, emergent parties as a result of the breakdown of the original classic two-party system. Do we think that what we've just described with local councils, if they're Labour-controlled and therefore Labour getting the blame, Tories getting controlled for the chaos that they've caused nationally, do you think it's creating the conditions for an insurgent party? Do you think we'll see that play out in our politics? I think reform um, are the newest kind of political force, if you want to call them that, um, across the country. And I think there was one study I saw the other day that said if if they poll at 6 or 7% in a general election, which I can't see happening, by the way, but if they did, then the Tories would end up with under 20 seats in Parliament in a general election. But, yeah, it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, as you say, local elections are completely different to general elections. I know the national messaging that we've been pumping out is relevant, but it's not exactly something that we can enact without a Labour government at a local authority level. So, no, I'd I'd say people, uh, after the pandemic and during the cost of living crisis, I think people look less to the minor parties and actually to Labour and the Conservatives for answers because we're seen, both parties are seen as the parties of government because we're the only two parties that have ever been in government apart from the Liberals' stint. Um, in coalition, so I, I actually think it will force more people to the centre, as it were, for, purely because they want answers and not ideas anymore. Yeah, and until we've got um, a sort of proportional representation um, style election system, I don't. I, I I agree. I don't think other smaller parties are gonna um, sweep in. I mean, looking at the seats being defended this time. Um, it's about 3,000 Tory, 2,000 Labour, 1,000 Lib Dem, 1,000 Independent. And and I think, you know, obviously we're going to see Conservative numbers drop. Um, and yeah, we'll probably see gains from the Greens and the Lib Dems. Um, but yeah, I think we will see a, the biggest gain, I, I hope at least, from, from Labour. Was that everybody's predictions? My prediction is that we will do fine. The Tories will do very badly, but I don't think that'll be reflected as Labour gains. I think that'll just be reflected as a huge drop in the Conservative. Yeah. Um, exactly. I think there's there's definitely reason to think that we're going to do well, but I also think that we need to be not complacent and manage expectations slightly because the way that the press will run this, if we go into it all guns blazing and 20 points ahead in the polls and don't make many gains, and, and especially after what Josie just mentioned, is is that they'll say it's, a, it's Keir Starmer's failure. You know, the mail will still yeah. run. It, they could lose every single council seat in country Tories, and if we don't gain Swindon, they, <laughs> the, the mail yeah. will... Mail will run a story saying Keir Starmer's finished. So it's um it's it's just a it's a it's a case of managing expectations and making sure we just get our positive message across about what we can deliver if we're given the tools to do it. That's exactly what I think. I do not think that we're going to have this huge runaway breakthrough that sets or or acts as the launch pad for a, a landslide like ninety seven. It's not. I think I've never looked at the local election results from nineteen ninety six, but other than. For Leeds, there were some seats where we'd never won before and, and that we'd won. So I presumed it was pretty much like that across the country. Do we know? Does anybody know? Um, yes, because I am on my computer and I've just Googled it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was crazy. It, it was really I've good. I've also just it? Googled it. We got, we got 43% of the vote and the Tories got 29%. The Lib Dems uh, got 26%. Um, so, yeah, in practice, that meant 
Labour gained 466 seats and the Conservatives lost 577. That says a lot, you know, Josie, because then when I lost my seat, my first seat in 2019, the Lib Dems that year won 720 seats. It was their best ever local election performance. So it shows you that even in 1996, written in the stars that we're going to have a landslide in 1997, but we only took four, four, 400 and what? 400 466 councillors. There you go. So I think everybody is going to go because they predicted that the Tories are predicted to lose a thousand seats, aren't they? Right. So everyone's going to, if we get any less, as Tom, exactly as Tom said, if we get 999, the mail will run with it. Um, but I think, therefore, we should have a, in the context of what we've just heard with 1996, I think if we, we're getting over three, four, five hundred seats, that's a huge, huge win, then, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And it's, I think, you guys are right to be a bit cautious as well because it's not the whole of the UK, you know, it's not London and Wales where Labour do well. So, yeah, I guess it's important to have that. It's not 100% a reflection of the, you know, of a general election because it's not the whole of the UK going up. Of course. Okay, well, on that cautious note, is that if everybody's happy with their predictions, I suggest that we end the podcast there and let listeners go back to whatever else they were doing before they started listening to us ramble. Can I, can I just have an honourable mention for a Lib Dem leaf that I've had through my letterbox? <laughs> go on. I was... <laughs> the Wheatwood li- are these the Wheatwood Lib Dems as well? Wheatwood Lib Dems. What, what do you mean honourable mention? Go on. <laughs> well, a dishonourable mention for dishonourable li- mention. That's better. <laughs> <laughs> who, who put a classic bar chart through the through the letterbox yep. saying only the Lib Dems can beat Labour here? Blah classic. blah blah. And they don't say Labour; they say the Labour in all their literature across <laughs> this time. They call us the Labour. So I think we should change his name. Proper. To the Labour, not the Labour Party. New Labour to the Labour Party to the Labour, and that's if it. If you're if you're shouting out leaflets, I have to mention the extra Conservatives leaflets, which are just like so shocking. Clearly, no one's proofread them. So there's one bit that is like an attack bit, saying letting the city centre down by increasing the hours from six pm, raising the hours from six pm too. Brilliant. Like it just makes no <laughs> sense at all. And one of there's like yeah, there's so many bits that just there's bit that says um, candidate is working hard and committee to working with you to make a better. And it's like just there's, there's, so that's that's, that's like ours. That's happened in ours because really all, all the conservatives, apart from my ward actually, but in a lot of wards in in Leeds and West Yorkshire, the conservatives have changed their name on the ballot paper to local conservatives. Yeah, they want to distance <laughs> themselves from the shower of. Ooh. And it never makes any difference, that sort of stuff. I think back in 2019 and in other, in other times as well, the, in local elections, you see some branches deciding to really sort of get rid of a lot of the Labour Party branding and, and sort of change the colour to a sort of off red and pretty much look like it's just a, a red leaflet rather than a Labour Party leaflet. I don't think it makes any difference. At the end of the day, when somebody gets to the polling booth, there's a big, there's a big rose there with Labour underneath it. So they know exactly what they're voting for. It's probably worse. It probably confuses people. Yeah, like, exactly. Local conservatives, they might think, oh, well, is that not the Conservative Party? You know, it does happen. <laughs> people do think, yeah. you know, and and I don't know why they bother. I mean, this is desperation from them. They're trying to distance themselves from Westminster, but as much as they try to, they've had three prime ministers, they've crashed the economy, they've crashed NHS, and everybody's out on strike, so they're not going to win, are they? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Succinctly summed up. Right, thanks, both of you. 
Thanks very much. Thank you. You're not saying bye, Tom. <laughs> I said bye. Did you get cut off? Oh, we didn't hear you. <laughs> you didn't. It, we didn't hear you. Do you want to do the thank you bye again? Do the bye again, James. Otherwise, it sounds like you're annoyed at us. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop. All right, on that, we'll go. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Good to be back, James. Speak to you soon. And you know what? I'm going to let listeners know that we have to re-record that because Tom <laughs> didn't say bye last time. <laughs>